Hello and welcome to Random Walk, a companion podcast to the Almamac. I'm your host, Adam, and we're going to skip our Random Walk of the Week and jump right into an interview I did with Joe Muse. Tell you more about Joe when we get started, but we're going to talk about physics education. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the podcast. We have a very special guest this week, Joe Muse. So Joe is a teacher at St. Thomas More Collegiate in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. Is that correct? Burnaby. Burnaby. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And you recently um, attended as a, a panelist, uh, the CUPC 2021 conference. That's the Canadian Undergraduate Physics Conference. How was that? Uh, it was really a, lot, a fun time. The, the conversation was around the perception of physics by youth. And there were four of us from different sort of branches of um, education, but also outreach um, and um, diversity and inclusion sort of perspectives. Um, and it was a, a fun two hour conversation. Um, it, it, when I first found out that it was going to be a two hour long panel, I was thinking this is going to be, you know, too much time. Um, but it, it flew by and it was a really, really engaging. Yeah, this seems like the kind of topic that could uh, go in a, a million different directions and balloon out in, in all sorts of different ways. So, so as a, a teacher at St. Thomas More, what kind of perspective were you bringing to this conversation, and um, and how was that perceived by by your panelists? So, I started physics teaching 18 years ago, uh, and in my first year, I had five female students out of a class of 25. Um, which shocked me to begin with because my undergrad experience was a bit more balanced. Um, and right away, I set out to trying to um, recruit more girls into my physics classes just because I wanted to have more physics classes. No, uh, no other perspective to start other than I wanted to have more people in physics. Um, and over the last number of years, the number has grown close to 50-50. Um, and we've gone from one block of physics 12 to three blocks of physics 12 in that time. Um, and so I talked a lot about sort of ways of promoting girls in physics, but also making physics more inclusive um, to everybody and sort of to a broader appeal than just people that are thinking about going on in physics or engineering. Um, and the panel came at this with different perspectives um, and it was an interesting discussion. The first question was sort of like, what are misconceptions of physics by youth? Um, and that the conversation just sort of spiraled out from there. Yeah, so as far as um, mis misconceptions of physics, um, so, when I was going through high school, physics 12, so let me just uh, double check, Canadian curriculum based, um, is, is that like a federal mandated thing or would my physics 12 in Ontario potentially look different from uh, British Columbia? So education is provincially mandated. Okay. Um, the the, the non-AP or a IB type courses, the, the physics 12 ends up lining up fairly well across the country. There was a, a pan-Canadian curriculum that was adopted at some point in time, I don't know, more than 15 years ago. Um, that is That means that they're kind of largely similar. Okay. And um, as, far as, as far as taking physics 12 as a prerequisite for universities, is that generally a requirement or is it almost always a, an optional course? Yeah. So as far as, you know, for graduation purposes, you need to have a, a science course at grade 11 or higher. Um, if you're going to go on into science, you need to have, I think, two sciences um, at the grade 12 level. Um, and for a lot of people, they wouldn't pick physics because there's a perception that physics is challenging and not applicable. Um, and so, you know, biology and chemistry tend to make a better pair for a lot of people um, unless they are convinced by someone else otherwise. Right. Okay. So, so when you when you started uh, seeking out more people to to get into the the physics uh, the physics stream, um, 
How did you go about that? Were you were you sort of asking students for um, you know input, um, current students, post student or past students? Like, what was your strategy there? Um, asking former students um, that went on into different fields, you know, what they what they wish they had done differently in high school, um, and also just sort of what skills they use in their day to day to see what skills are transferable. Um, and so I started targeting people that were interested in going on in business tend to have good math skills. And so those math skills would be, would play well in, in physics um, and convince them that the problem solving side of physics that they develop in a high school physics course would be beneficial for their future, whatever they wanted to do really. Um, similarly, convincing people that were thinking more of a medical stream that physics in high school makes a lot of sense because it'll make your life easier when you have to hit physics um, at the undergrad level. That's a really good point. Uh... <laughs> Uh, throughout TAing, I've uh, I've also been uh, able to do a bit of tutoring, and uh, a lot of the people I tutor are people hoping to get into med school, and they've tried to avoid physics as much as possible. And it it's usually our sessions usually start with twenty to thirty minutes of regret <laughs> of not taking it earlier. And um, I've had a couple of recent students come back that have just written the MCAT, and they said they used my notes from high school to study, um, and that they were really well prepared with that. So I think the the idea that a foundation in physics in high school is important uh, is really interesting. Mm -hmm. And there's stats out there that show that, you know, among MCAT and LSAT writers, um, if you break it down by degree, physics is one of the top two or three for both of those uh, in terms of MSAT, M MCAT and LSAT scores. Interesting. That's the kind of thing that I, I feel like if high school students were, were shown frequently, um, <laughs> that it would kind of maybe convince them uh, to, to reconsider the whole physics stream. Yeah. Um, and yeah, go ahead. for me, for me, you know, if once they get to grade 11, they've already decided. So I almost need to have the conversation a year before, because in grade 10, at least here in British Columbia is when you stop having is the last year of a general science course, then you kind of divide off into the different branches. So having that conversation with them with the utility of physics at a younger level, so they see it um, and can sort of plant the seed is, is, is important. Yeah. So you brought up an interesting um, aspect of, of how people perceive physics. Um, I think one of the most annoying tropes that uh, physicists identify is that, you know, you're sort of the, the squirrely, introverted, uh, very dorky person. But what you brought up was that you can do physics not for physics sake, but as a uh, like a transferable baseline for, you know, just problem solving and reasoning. Uh, do, you, do you feel like that perception is, is sort of changing in, in your uh, in your teaching and your your students? Yeah, I think so. I, mean, I think there's a general, general idea that, you know, there's one of the misconceptions is that, you know, the, the squirrely eccentric physicist, but also the idea that it's only done by geniuses um, and that physics is really hard, right? Mm -hmm. So I think as physics teachers, part of the, our job is to change that perception and sort of get the word out there. Um, it's not just conversations with students as well. Like I talk to, to parents all the time and how, you know, if you, if you start a conversation with your son or daughter by saying, oh, I took physics in high school and it was so hard, or I hated physics in high school, how it, it, it frames their, their experience they're going to have and try to avoid those conversations. Um, and the same thing is having conversations with school guidance counselors around, you know, their perception of what physics class was from 25 years ago is not the reality of what it is now. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of physics teaching has changed to have a lot more conceptual focus. So it's not just an applied math course, um, which A, makes it challenging for some students, but also makes it more appealing to other students as well at the same time. 
I don't know if I answered that last question or not. I kind of squirreled away from it. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was Yeah, that was good. Um, Yeah, the the making it more conceptual. And uh, so as far as as the way that you go about teaching it, is that, you know, taking um, examples from different places? Like, how do you how do you try to um, turn it from feeling like a really applied math course to something that is sort of real life based? That seems like it's uh, an important core. of. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's trying to get students to see that physics is all around them and they can apply it in in different ways is one one thing for sure. I, I, I'm a cycling commuter and I regularly talk about the process of cycling to work and as one of my starting points in class like today it was pouring rain and there was wet leaves everywhere and so my breaking my breaking distances were much bigger so I had to adjust what I was doing mm-hmm. um, and just sort of bringing up constant reminders of where it is or you know lots of high school students play sports and talk about you know the you know if you're throwing a ball the amount of torque you get with a longer arm and then a shorter arm is just you know an interesting example of of how to how to bring that up um, and the other sort of side of it is getting students talking about physics instead of just um, doing calculations. So there's a lot of cool stuff going on in physics education research, um, but that's really sort of aimed at the college and university audience. But there's lots of pieces that transfer down into into high school teaching that make it a really kind of more interactive course. So I use um, Eric Mazur's pure instruction quite a bit, um, where students are doing conceptual questions individual, do a poll, have them talk about it with each other and justify their answers and having them say the physics out loud um, changes it from purely a mathematical thing to a, having to explain it point. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I, I mean, as somebody who, who does physics quite often, I, I very rarely have to chug through a, a really numerically intense calculation. A lot of it is sort of conceptual and like having a general idea of how, how things sort of work. So you, you identified sports as being a, a great place for this and especially cycling. Um, in one of my undergrad or in, at my undergrad, there was a, a course that I never ended up getting to take. It was the physics of triathlon. It was cool. just this, uh, this really em- enthusiast of, of triathlon in general. And I, I think it was aimed at the sort of the kinesiology group to give, give them like the, the breadth requirement that they needed. But uh, cycling has got to be one of my favorite things to, to think about physics wise, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. Breaking and, you distances, know, air drag, all this stuff. And, you know, you talk about the idea of like, rarely are you doing, um, you know, big number calculations, but that's sort of what the perception of what high school physics is. And so also like trying to do questions that become down to like, you know, what you call napkin math, where you're trying to like make an approximation and sort of get a ballpark number of what this might be. Another way of showing students that there's physics that they can do um, on a regular basis that, that, that works out. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. That's, um, not only like a very powerful technique that, you know, like being able to do like ballpark calculations is like so important on a day-to-day basis, even just like calculating a tip or something like that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be like a, a gratuitous, you know, numbery calculation, just sort of get a feel for what percentages mean and rough sizes of things. How have students taken to, to this sort of change? Certainly you wouldn't have a, an AB comparison within the same group, but, um, but have you sort of, you know, brought more and more of these things into your, your classes? And, and if so, how have students kind of responded? Um, I think that it makes it overall has made the class more dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, and the students, you know, within a group don't know what it was beforehand. So they don't have the same reference point, but mm-hmm. me from externally, there seems to be a lot more talking about physics going on. Um, 
in the in the moments in between when I'm teaching, like when they're doing a lab um, and they're like, oh, here, let's try this. And um, oh, this from last from last week that applies here. And they're that kind of conversation. Yeah. Um, I also do cooperative problem solving where I give them more challenging questions and I'm on a big whiteboard um, and I don't really give them a lot of a lot of prompting. And they're like, I don't know where to start. But then somebody says, oh, let's try this and sort of the hey, oh, how about that? And they they eventually like they struggle at first and they realize that they're struggling. But then once the when they have the aha moment, it's like, oh, wow, that's really cool. And they, the conversation really goes. That's cool. That's got to be a very rewarding feeling. It is. Seeing them actually like get engaged in this. Yeah. Um, I have one more question for now about um, but the in-class stuff that you do. Um, you mentioned that you do the, the physics labs in, in class. I know what my in-class physics labs looked like in high school. Um, There's a lot of like long springs, <laughs> but I don't know where you, where you guys source these from, but... Uh, but what kind of stuff do you do these days? So I shifted away from sort of the formal lab right up and doing like, you know, a small number of formal labs to doing much more easily accessible um, one pagers where they can do some calculations, show a principle and understanding, uh, and also would also work on sort of lab skills along the way. Mm -hmm. um, the one thing that's changed since when I went through high school physics is the is digital data collection sensors. Um, a couple mm -hmm. companies, Vernier and Pasco, make these things now. And so we have one that'll measure magnetic field that are pretty good value um, or acceleration probes and force probes, um, which really change the nature of, of what they can do. Um, last week, my physics students, we were doing static equilibrium and I had a bunch of things hanging from the ceiling um, with force with digital force probes that they connect to with their, with their, with their Chromebooks. Um, and they had to come up with the unknown mass for all the different things that were hanging by getting the, the force readings and measuring the angles. And so they had five things. Yeah. They had five things and they had to give me their masses. Then I had a spreadsheet that would do the calculation of the percent errors and the team that was the, the lowest overall percent error um, got chocolate out of it. So just giving some, you know, some external motivation. Um, this afternoon, I'm going to do a lab with my 12s where taking a ring stand and a force sensor um, and then have a, a constant velocity car that goes in a circle and then measure the, by changing the speed of the car, plot the speed versus the, the force um, or the force versus the speed rather, and just getting starting principles of centripetal acceleration, things like that. Um, is oh, sort of what I look so at for labs. smart. The, having that, yeah. um, that device is, that's always one of these super hard concepts for, for a good group of people to, to wrap their head around. I know I, I still kind of struggle with the idea of centripetal and centrifugal. Like it's all. Yeah. Um, There's an app called Firefox that lets you access so many different sensors. What was um, that called again? Firefox, P-H-Y-P-H-O-X. Okay. Um, it's got a good range of things. So whenever I take off in an airplane, I put my phone on my lap and I put on the three-dimensional accelerometer mm -hmm. um, and then get a good plot. Then I put it up in class when I come back the next time. And it's, it's good. It's good discussion. Nice. Cool. So, so let's uh, move a little bit uh, over to the, let's move back to the panel a little bit. Sure. Um, so you brought a, a perspective of teaching your, your uh, 11s and 12s and sort of the perception that, that um, students going into university had. Um, could you tell me a little bit about the other people that you shared the panel with? Sure. Um, so Dr. Martin Williams uh, is a professor of physics at the University of Guelph. Um, and he talked about his perspective as a, um, as a university professor of seeing students actually in the classroom um, at the university level and how a little bit varied from my perspective 
um, as a high school teacher, but he said a lot of the same things that really it's a focus on problem solving um, and um, and just sort of physics thinking like a physicist skills is what really is important for students to arrive with at the university level, less so um, the idea of knowing this certain set piece of information, but more, can you think on your feet? Can you solve problems? Can you articulate, you know, your understanding of, of physics along the way? Um, and so he, we had similar perspectives um, along the way. Uh, another presenter was Lisa Cole who works for kindergarten to industry um, at York University. And so she's a former teacher who now works um, in sort of like changing the, the pipeline of physics of getting more bodies into the room um, because, you know, university is pretty good at main, keeping the people that get into physics. But like you said before, there's not enough people that are getting in there. Um, and then lastly was uh, Anna Sophia Barrows who's a diversity and equity and inclusion specialist for the professional engineers of Ontario. Um, and she had a, an interesting perspective as well, because she did a physics degree, but then went into industry and had that sort of looking back at it as well. Okay. So yeah, as far as, as far as I can tell, I feel like a lot of people understand the idea of going, doing a full physics career, you know, all the way through ending up with a PhD and ending up in academia, but it sounds like the the other panelists were very much interested in like getting people in the the start of that pipeline, and then also the the diversions that you can take that don't bring you to like an academic uh, job. There, I found it interesting. Uh, you were mentioning uh, the the first person on the panel, Martin Martin, Doctor Martin, who yep. yeah. Williams, yeah, Williams. That's right. Um, that you both had similar perspectives on on. Um, you know, transferableness of, of a physics education. So I, I'm assuming what when he's talking about this, he's talking about sort of the first and second year science students for the most part. Was that kind of his his focus? Largely, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I feel like you you'd probably be talking a lot of the the same sort of um, trying to convince the the more medical minded or the the bio or kin type people to to get in and, and take these courses. Uh, did he have any surprising perspectives, perhaps? Um, any, anything that was contrary to what you, you would have thought? Or? Not a time that where we, where we were particularly, we a, lot, a lot of it was uh, similar perspectives across the board um, mm -hmm. in terms of how to support students and how to get students in and where the, where the hurdles lie. Mm -hmm. um, there wasn't a lot of, no, not, not a lot of disagreement between our, our, our takes on things, I think. Okay. Um, as far as the... Uh, the the other two panelists they sounded more like they were interested in the the end product of a, a physics education. Um, anything that sort of stood out to you from from their their work, um, like say keeping people in the physics stream or you know offloading them into uh, something that isn't necessarily physics based. Anything that like struck you as as something surprising or something that would help you reinforce the the ideas that you were coming in with yeah um one thing that sort of came up is the idea that there's a lot of work done at the high school level um sort of change perspectives on physics and the sort of the ways that i'm doing it and some other things mm -hmm. um but it's been slower to change at the university level and to find sort of that supports um to promote diversity inclusion in a meaningful way um about 20 percent of physics grads are still about you know roughly that value um, are women um, and so finding ways to get more into the field to start, I think is there is a lot of the focus. 
Um, I know that Lisa Cole was saying how she works, her organization actually hires um, grade 11 students that chose to not take physics in grade 11. They go, sorry, try that again. Um, at the end of grade 10, they offer summer work for people that chose to not take physics in high school at the grade 11 level, um, basically to give them a, a summer internship in the, in the physics field so they can see that value of the physics degree or the physics as a field of study um, to see if their, their mind gets changed about taking physics um, the next year. Interesting. Yeah, it's that's kind of a, a cool, kind of a cool program. Yeah, that's a cool idea. I'd also, um, I think it would be interesting if, uh, similar to to that program, if uh, you could get access to the people that did do a physics um, degree and then ended up somewhere else, having them be sort of a mentor as well. Yeah, for um, sure. Like, it's, like, I think the financial um, people would be a really interesting group to uh, <laughs> to to follow around a little bit. For sure, and I think there's a. Uh not a lot of data out there on people that did a physics degree that went into finance. Um, from what I understand, they're pretty valued for their problem solving skills um, and sort of their, their ways of looking at the system in a different, in a different, different lens. Um, so it'd be, definitely be cool to get some, some data there. Yeah. I, uh, in recent years, my dad has been really interested in these, uh, these sort of anecdotal stories, like the, the big short and all of these like quants and these, you know, off the radar economist type people that came from you know other areas of, of STEM that shook up the investing game or whatever. Yeah, for sure. It seems like a small group of people, but potentially a, a very interesting direction. Yeah, there'd be some some cool stories to tell out of that bunch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so as far as CUPC went, um, so your panel had the, the discussion um, with each other. Um, you also, I assume, took questions from students as well um could you get a like a did you get a good read on on where students were coming um to this with sure what kind of ideas um, they so had? the the group of people that were in the audience were a mixture of current undergrad students but they also took in a limited number of current high school students maybe as a way of getting them more hooked on physics to as part of the pipeline um, and one that really struck me looking at the the list of the faces and the names in the zoom call um was the the diversity is much better than when I was in physics. Mm. Um, I did my, I finished in 99. Um, so 22 years ago, the, the diversity is much, is much better than now than it was then um, was one of the things that struck me. Um, and reading through the chat, you know, as we were talking about different, different things, there was a lot of uh, really good perspectives from the students uh, in the, in the group that were making me think about what I, how I do things Um and then the questions as well were, were excellent questions in terms of provoking us to think about things more deeply. Mm -hmm. I've certainly found um, since doing grad school, uh, the undergrads who, who are in the physics department who you know, make a point of, of being active in the physics department are, are very inspiring when it comes to you know, trying to solve a lot of these systemic issues within physics. There's, I feel like there's, there's always so many great ideas and so much motivation that they bring to to it, it's probably pretty cool to to get to talk to them in that context. Yeah, it was awesome. So, so was this uh, your first UPC? And if so, are you are you going to go back? <laughs> um, I attended the Atlantic Undergraduate Physics Conference back in the nineties um, okay. when I was an undergrad. I never attended the national one at the time, but I really enjoyed this experience. <laughs> um, I did drop in on a few of the other sessions, um, and there were some excellent other panels going on and some excellent conversations. Uh, so yeah, I, I'd be definitely be interested in, in trying to connect with it in the future again. Cool. 
was there anything you could bring back to your students? Uh, did you tell them about your uh, your conference at all? I did. Yeah, I actually had two two of my current students were among the high school high schoolers attending. Um, and I came back and just told them about, you know, there are lots of people that are active in this field that are young and interested in talking to people about physics. And so I might get one of, one of my former students was actually one of the panelists on the undergraduate undergraduate mentorship panel. I mean, she might come in next time she's in town to talk to my physics students just about her experiences. Um, and I realized that, you know, for getting students interested in doing physics, um, having somebody that's currently in it is really powerful as a conversation. Yeah, that's a, a really good point, especially, um, I think, especially students that are actively working through, they can come back and, and talk to high school students and give them a bit more perspective, show them that like, you know, I'm a normal person as well, who decided yeah. to do physics. <laughs> but yeah. I feel like that could be uh, invaluable. Um, okay, so let's see here, as far as topics go, was there anything that uh, we haven't covered so far that uh, you were hoping to, to dig into? Um. One thing that I, I think is cool is a program that I'm that I'm involved in. I'll just pitch a little bit. is yeah. is called Step Up. Uh, it's called supporting teachers uh, to encourage the pursuit of undergraduate physics. It's a it's a U.S. based um, program that gets teachers trained up on the idea of underrepresentation of women in physics, mm -hmm. um, and looks at trying to build the number <clears throat> build the number of women in physics programs. Um, one of the the cool pieces that I talked in the panel and that I use in my class all the time, they have a, they have a careers in physics lesson where students complete a, a matrix that describes what they are interested in and their, their life skills. Then they take it and match it with uh, a deck of 36 career profiles. And these profiles are of people in a wide range of careers, but they all started with an undergraduate degree in physics as the minimum baseline. Um, and so they can see perspectives of people that started in physics, but went on into, into become an actuary or become a, a YouTuber or become all kinds of different things. Um, <clears throat> and of those 36 profiles, none of the people there that are profiled were people who would have said at the age of five, I know I wanna be a physicist. There are people that took non-traditional routes to get there along the way. Um, and two thirds of the profiles are women. So it's normalizing women doing physics, which is a really powerful thing. Um, and so this program, of this, this organization step up um, started in the US three or four years ago. I've been working with the last two years trying to expand it within Canada and get Canadian teachers using these lessons um, and is looking to expand internationally as well. Okay, interesting. I'll definitely um, check that out and this will definitely go in the show notes as well. I, yeah, stepupphysics.org. Uh, okay. And uh, if people are looking to get uh, the, the deck, of, uh, deck of professionals and things like this, is this... Uh, they can just order them. I'm curious. It's, I might want to order them for myself. It's entirely free. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. And it's on the website. Um, the, the American deck is on the, on the main website. Mm -hmm. I've been working on developing a, a Canadian edition of it that has at least a few more Canadian profiles than the original one. Okay. Um, it's hard to make a Canadian profile physics deck without including uh, Donna Strickland, Dr. Strickland. Um, just, you know, yes, she wanted, knew she wanted to be a physicist, but she's a Canadian with a Nobel Prize, so it kind of has to be included. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that would um, that'd be a fun project. If you if you ever want uh, somebody to help out with uh, collecting awesome. profiles yeah, or for something, sure. I, I got plenty of time coming up soon, <laughs> graduating awesome. soon. So. Cool. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on and, and talking and sharing your perspective. This was um, really interesting. Um, I enjoyed it. 
So, so we have step up that we can, uh, we can share in the show notes. Um, do you have a, a website or anything like that? That um, I mean, I know you're on Twitter, so we can share that as well. JM underscore M-U-I-S-E. So that's, that's where you are. Yeah. Um, I, don't that... have a, I don't have a website. No, I, uh, okay. most because I don't have time to put it together. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, so I'm Twitter, also big on the best way to find you. Yep. Yep. Um, I'm also big on experiential learning. Um, there's a really cool program that I can, that I can pitch just cause it's really, it's excellent for high school students, yep. um, is students on the beam lines. It's run by the Canadian light source and it gives students the opportunity to travel to Saskatoon and conduct their own research, um, at Canada synchrotron. Um, and it's, basically like a mini master's project where they design a research project, they get to go there and conduct it, crunch the data in a day, and then do a presentation to, to a group of scientists. Oh, that's so cool. It is. Um, I'm in my fourth group through, and it's really been some of the most powerful um, teaching moments of my career is seeing these students really become a master in a really narrow band of science, um, and then have that pride going forward into other things they do. It's really cool to, to see as well that like, there's a lot of learning that needs to happen and a lot of technical skills that you accumulate, but there are so are, there are also a lot of things that, you know, a high school student can do that is real research. It's, Oh yeah. There's yeah. My quantum mechanics mark is something I will not speak of the actual number, but it was not a, it was not a great one. And I tell my <laughs> students that is that, you know, I had some moments in university where it was like, it was touch and go. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, that's the, that's also a really important, I think, perspective. Thanks again to Joe for being on the show. If you like this or want more science content in your life, head over to scientificcanada.ca. We host Random Walk. We host the Alma Mac. We host Gamer's Guide to Ecology. And we're ever-expanding. So, see you there.